Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Cisco Champions Radio. I'm Lauren Friedman, also known on the Twitters as Lauren, and today we have Phil, Paul, and Peter Jan. Phil, who are you? What do you do? And are you on the Twitters? Yes, hi. Yeah, I am uh, at TechiePhil. Cool. So I'm Philip Kirk. I lead all of the investment and acquisition activity in a couple different areas, collaboration, analytics, and cloud. And then also got responsibility for our activities in Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Russia. Wow, all over the place. So yes. Fantastic. Paul, who are you? What do you do? What do you? What's going on here, man? Uh, Paul Campbell. So I am a Cisco champion. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Coversal, which is a Cisco partner out of Charlotte. I am also on the Twitters at PaulMC3. Hey, Peter, Jan. I'm Peter Jan Efkens, also my own company, independent consultant, Cisco partner, and I'm on Twitter at PANF. Fantastic. All right, so, Phil, uh, give us a quick overview. Like, what do you do in your day-to-day? Like, what's, what's the new excitement stuff? Yeah, sure. So our team has a really exciting job because we cover the outside-in perspective on markets and technology trends that affect Cisco. So I've got a great team, and we spend a ton of time looking at a couple different areas for the company. We think about where is collaboration going, we think about where is IT operations and analytics going, and then we also think about the cloud. And that's grown and evolved over the years, but it's a market transition and a set of technologies that's super critical for the company. And so a lot of our time is spent meeting entrepreneurs, meeting startups, giving them kind of advice on ways to work in the Cisco ecosystem, as well as maybe ways to think about working with some of our product and business unit teams. Awesome. Uh, so that, that sounds very interesting. And, and startups, how, how do you find them? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how do you find these startups? You know, we are, uh, we're, always, we're always interested in meeting inspired entrepreneurs. So the way that we do that is a lot of, we drink a lot of coffee, we go out and talk to a lot of people, and it's a really bottoms-up kind of approach. You've got you've to kind of uh, be known as someone who people would enjoy getting connected with. So we spend time with investors. Uh, we spend time with other technology companies. But all of us kind of try to build our personal network. And then we also have people come to us, you know, shoot us an email, put uh, us up online, message us on Twitter. And, and those are ways that we're always looking to, to meet new folks. Oh, great, great. Um, so what, what trends are you seeing specifically in the European region and do you see really differences between Europe and the US? I'm myself from Holland, so I'm yeah. European. Yeah, Europe privacy is, focused. Right, privacy <laughs> focused for sure, yeah. So Europe's so fascinating. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about our team is that we're very global. So we've got a strong footprint in the US, but we see a lot of things outside the US too. Europe, Israel, India, China. Um, I think Europe's a fascinating market because you've got an excellent community now of entrepreneurs, and you actually have some repeat entrepreneurs who have grown companies, uh, maybe had a successful exit, and then they're coming back to do it again, or they're coming back to fund a next generation of entrepreneurs. And that's really inspiring, I think, when we are, uh, are, are, are looking for interesting companies. One of the things that also has really been a trend in the last uh, several years in Europe is the growth of enterprise technology companies, right? So if you rewind the clock, there were some really fantastic consumer-oriented B2C plays, and uh, and that was neat to see, but maybe not as relevant to kind of Cisco's core business. But now, you know, we see, especially with the rise of things like, you know, containers and Kubernetes and DevOps, 
exciting entrepreneurs in Europe. You know, I was just speaking with someone that was at KubeCon Barcelona, and I think it had the same number of people as the the KubeCon in the U.S. Right. Wow. So, uh, so that sort of that kind of like flattening of the world from an entrepreneurship standpoint is definitely happening, and we're seeing a lot of really interesting companies. But you all probably also see a cultural difference between Europe and the U.S. in the way you approach people or talk people. Yeah, there is a difference. Um, although one of the things that you know is neat to see in Europe, and this is sort of despite Brexit and everything else, uh, there, there's still a lot of very multinational interest in being entrepreneurial. So. Actually, I was at uh, I was in Barcelona about a year and a half ago, and one of the neat things was seeing some startups that had, uh, even though we're in Spain, right? Like employees and founders from Germany and the Netherlands and France, and all of them are coming there to start their companies because cost of living is lower, the sunshine is nice, and the food is fantastic. And so if you like fish, if you like fish, yeah, <laughs> and what? You don't? No, uh, I don't. No. And so that was that was like cool. You say this like sort of generational shift in people being more entrepreneurial and also being very international and multicultural, which is really fun to see. Yeah, and that's also one of the powers of Europe, that you can have different cultures and everything else. Yeah, and I recognize that. Yeah, you do, you, you do find that uh, sometimes people are maybe a little more conservative when they think about building their business forecast. You know, they are maybe a little more um, inclined to try to get to cash flow break even quicker versus kind of like trying to drive this huge hockey stick growth like you might see in you know a Bay Area tech company that's like go big or go home yeah. um, but the sort of general acceptance it feels much more generally accepted now in Europe to be entrepreneurial and that that that's actually but even just as admirable even at exponential growth it's only limited to a very limited number of entrepreneurs that are really successful in that right I mean, that autonomic growth is usually, more, although it takes more time, it's usually a little bit more easy, I wouldn't say, but it's organic growth is probably better. Yes, yeah, definitely. Than definitely. having grown pains on the exponential growth. Yes, no, organic growth, I mean, you want to have something sustainable, right? Yes. And so that's definitely a piece of what we see. And, there, and Cisco yeah. Investment is helping on organic growth as well? Yeah, so what we do as investors in Europe, right, is we try to look for world-class companies no matter where they are. So in Europe, for example, you know, we've seen really, as I mentioned, kind of really exciting Kubernetes uh, and developer-oriented companies. And we look at those companies and we compare them as investment candidates just as equally as ones that we would find in the Bay Area or ones we would think about in, you know, the East Coast U.S. And so we really try to take a very global view of investing. And I think that's one of the things that helps set us apart as a venture. So one of the big announcements of the Cisco Life this year here in the U.S. is AI and machine learning. And in the network, IT operations leveraging AI and machine learning. Can you, have you been working already with that? And is it more or less for you um, old school or is it still new? Oh, I think there's still a ton of stuff happening in, in AI and machine learning. We actually hosted a little bit of a session yesterday where we had some of our portfolio companies talk about that. We had uh, someone from Mooksoft, someone from DataRobot, which are two companies that we've invested in and that we're really excited about, who are both using machine learning and, and AI. And, you know, I guess the one thing that is still kind of intimidating if you haven't fully immerse yourself in the space is trying to figure out like what a definition is of AI, of machine learning, and 
you know, unstructured learning and deep learning <laughs> and neural networks. Yeah, like, well, how do I have yeah. to figure all this out, right? Or even deep fusion reasoning, which I learned recently. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but I think one one thing to keep in mind, especially if you're in the networking space, is at the end of the day, a lot of it is about taking data and driving insight out of that data, right? Yeah. And so companies that use machine learning and AI are usually really trying to extract insight out of that data and do it at a massive scale. And so when we see companies doing that, those are things that get really interesting to us. So I mentioned MOOCsoft, which is one of our portfolio companies. You know, they were founded from the earliest days uh, trying to solve the problem of you know, delivering root cause analysis and remediation much more quickly. And so even if you don't know exactly how they do that, because that's kind of part of their secret sauce, you can see the benefit because you say I had 10,000 alerts before and now I've managed to quickly, you know, uh, root cause that down to five, five alerts or maybe three things that are actually causing my service outage. And that incremental value add is the power of that AI ML technology. Yeah, specifically because networks are becoming more and more complex. Everybody's hooking up to the network, everything is connected. A lot of data, a lot of complexity. Yeah, the network, the network, the job of that network operator, that IT operator, is only getting more difficult. Yeah. Right? You've got physical, virtual, on-premise, cloud, micro-segmented, <laughs> micro-segmented, ephemeral, spinning up and spinning down. It's yeah. not easy. Dynamic. Dynamic. Yeah. It's almost like intent-based networking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I have a question. Um, when you're looking at people who are, you know, giving you these pitches and presentations, yeah. right? Everyone's always really excited about their own stuff, and sometimes you have to look at them and be like, "That's that, that's not really cool, man." Right? right. Your baby's so, ugly. Yeah. E exactly. Yeah. So how how do you find that you guys kind of you know uh, dig through the chaff, right? And I, the the Tommy Boy reference of the guarantee on the box comes to mind. Yeah. You know, how do you find those that actually have something worthwhile? And what kind of criteria do you all use to really kind of set aside um, as you are making these investments to further the portfolio that you know that we saw today and yesterday on the keynote stages? Yeah, it's a great question, right? Um, and I think one thing that we try to keep in mind. So there's a couple. There's a couple points. I guess number one, you know, we have to believe within our team that we understand the market opportunity that the company is going after. So there could be a company that is really interesting, but just not going after a market that we feel like we've got some insightful view into. And those companies might not be a great investment target for us because we can't help them as much because we don't feel like we have kind of an insightful view of the market. So that's one thing that we really think about is, uh, do we understand the market that they're going after? And, and also is the entrepreneur able to describe and explain what that market is or what the problem is that they're solving. Because if they can't explain that effectively to us, then we think it's gonna to be tough for the customer. Do you Absolutely. ever see like um, one, of, one of those folks who, they might not actually see the market potential, but you're like, oh, actually, if we pulled you in in some way or we invested in you and we can hook you up with these great guys, we actually think you'd have a bigger market than you realize. Do you ever run into that or? Yeah, no, that's a good question. We do run into that. And, you know, sometimes that's kind of the byproduct of being maybe an entrepreneur who's really focused on solving one problem really well, mm -hmm. and then we say, well, maybe we could take it in a different direction and help you grow incrementally, Yeah. right? And, and I think the challenge for an entrepreneur there is, do I have the resources to do that? 
and is it going to be a good use of my time? And so that's one of the things that we try to help them with as kind of a value-added investor. Um, you know, we've had companies where the use case that they're thinking about is a certain type of, um, you know, maybe, I was thinking about uh, companies in the IT ops space, you know, there's companies that started saying like the service provider market, right? And then, and then there's big problems and it's a tough space, but then we've actually helped them say, well, you can actually use this in enterprise space too, or you could use this on premise or in the cloud. And they, they weren't necessarily thinking about solving the problem in those use cases. And but there's a lot more there. enterprises than there are SPs. Yes, that's Oddly true. Oddly enough. Surprisingly. <laughs> but, the, but the SP use cases, I think from an engineering and technical yeah. standpoint, can feel super alluring because they're yeah. very big and super complicated, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, if, if I look back at the past few years, um, a lot of things have happened in collaboration, like hosted clouds, uh, broad soft acquisition, quite, yep. quite big. Mm -hmm. WebEx, I mean, a lot of things are happening in Collab with the cloud. Do you see any trend or something we should watch for in Collab? Something that really excites you? Yeah, I mean, collaboration is 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 a really important business for Cisco, and it's a space that we spend a lot of time thinking about. I think there's a couple of things that we're really excited about in collaboration. One of them is actually tied back to your earlier discussion of AI and ML. One of them is really about adding machine learning into the collab experience. And you've heard people here at Cisco Live talking about that. But I think, you know, while the sort of IT operator benefit of, of, of machine learning is to kind of make the network run better or faster, the collaboration use case of machine learning is uh, kind of adding value around the workflows of what you already do. Making life easier, right? Making yeah. life easier, exactly, right? So, you know, being able to, and, and for collaboration, you know, we're using all these products already to try to reduce barriers and reduce friction. And so the question is, hey, how could a machine help me with that? Or how could machine learning help me with that? Like the OK WebEx control? Yeah. Would that be a good example? Like the OK WebEx control, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, or the or the different bots that you can add yeah. into a uh, WebEx Teams room. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that the, you know, for, for me personally, watching some of the investments come into play was, you know, I had a, had a customer that we sold WebEx to, and literally from the time they bought it till it got on site, OK WebEx came out. Yeah. And for them, it was just in a, you know, they were kind of like, I made this, and, you know, hopefully trying to tie in, but yeah. they made this investment in WebEx, and then they got this additional thing mm -hmm. that made it even easier for them and their executives and other people to just walk into a room and use it. So going along that line, as we talk about, you know, all this big data and analytics that are tying back into everything, right? Where do you see that kind of exploding in the next year or two? What, you know, this is from your mouth, right? Where, where, where do you think it's going? Where do I think the the collaboration? Uh, just in general, like the analytics side of yeah. big data and kind of the explosion, even around collaboration would be good too. We can focus yeah. on that. I mean, I think with collaboration, the the real question is um, how much. How how broad are the are the problem statements that we want to try to solve for our customers, and do we want to do that, or do we want to have partners do that? Yeah. Right. And so that's actually one of the things when we look at the investment side that we really think about is what are the companies that we could enable around a core collaboration portfolio, mm -hmm. so that if you're going in and you're a customer, you've decided to go all in on Teams or WebEx or other items in the portfolio, um, you can feel like over time. 
that other partners are going to show up and it's all going to seamlessly work well together. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that's a that's a big that's a big priority when we think about the investment side. Um, and we also kind of think the one we one descriptor that we use for a lot of that is the future of work, and we want to think about how the way that you're working is changing, whether you're mobile or you're on different devices or you're traveling or you're in a, in, uh, in a meeting room and you've got screens and you've got phones. And so how do we kind of use that collaboration platform to make all of that get tied together in a more efficient way? And I think lots of times it can be subtle, but it can be more efficient for you as a user. So when you walk in, you pop open your computer and the slides automatically pop up on the screen. It knows who you are when you walk in. It knows what your meetings are. It's yeah. kind of a subtle thing, but it's actually kind of really a great or example. Or like uh, relocating your next meeting because it's closer by, because your earlier meeting is running out. Yeah, Ooh. exactly. Notifying the new user. Notifying somebody else that Peter yeah. is still in here. And yeah, he hasn't, or, he hasn't been quite or Lauren is always booking like two, uh, for a room for eight or ten persons, but there are only four persons coming up. Yeah. yeah. So actually I'm going to allocate her in a smaller room to keep that bigger room available. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's kind of big data analysis. Yeah, this got personal, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's it's a, an example. Uh, I know. No, but that's it's a very personal. it's a very real world though. I mean, yeah. you know, especially places that have, you know, limited meeting areas, when you do have a, you know, a 10-person conference room and, you know, Bob keeps booking it every day for 2 hours to have a conversation with himself and all these other people, it doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. or um, all these scrum masters that are booking from 9 a.m. to 9:30 for their daily stand-up and they're not using it. <laughs> yep. Sounds like you're speaking from experience. Yes, I do. <laughs> Sensitive topic. <laughs> no, 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 no frustration here. Feeling a little bitter there. Yeah. 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 About big data analytics and, and IT operations. Yeah. Uh, a lot of trends are net DevOps, DevOps. Do you see really that trend happening? That DevOps and network management are really tightly integrating, or? I think there's a the potential there for it to be bigger. I think it's still very much early days for that. Um, but you know, the 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 market. The truth is, when you think about say application development, uh, the release cycles are so short now, and that then kind of has a knock-on effect through the rest of the whole IT environment, right? Yeah. So I've got to provision more compute and storage to support the faster deployment applications, I need to change my network policies and automation in order to support those, you know, new deployments. And that kind of forces the network engineer to say, hmm, maybe the set it, forget it model of my ACLs and everything else is not going to cut it in the no. future. And I do think what's cool there is there's, there's kind of a whole real learning opportunity and development opportunity for everyone who's built their career on networking to kind of get on board the DevOps train and the, and, the, and the DevOps learning cycle, which is neat yeah. for, for, for a lot of people who have been in networking for a while because you can now kind of open up this whole new avenue to, uh, to your own learning and growth. Yeah, that, that's really true. I, I can acknowledge it as a developer. I wrote an app myself as well to showcase what you can do with intent. Yep, absolutely. Um, from the, go back to, uh, at the beginning you actually said something that caught my eye was, or caught my ear was the uh, merger and acquisitions. Yes. Right. So, as someone who's used Cisco for a long time, um, you know I've witnessed the merger and acquisition strategy succeed, and I've watched it, watched it not go as well. Yeah. Well, when Meraki came along and it stayed separate, yeah. I loved the idea. That 
that trend has continued, especially with uh, app space and others. So I'm actually curious, yeah. who, who kind of makes those recommendations? Is it investments that kind of digs in and says, hey, we should kind of leave them alone and let them be awesome? Or right. we should kind of roll them in faster? Yeah, it's a great question, Paul. So, you know, when we, when we think about an acquisition at Cisco, a lot of work goes into not just, hey, uh, is this a deal that we think you can get done for a certain price? But a lot of effort goes into the idea of how do you make this particular company successful in the context of Cisco, in a unique way. And certainly, I think we've got a great history of doing that with technologies that were already kind of more updated modern versions of things that were in our portfolio. So if I go back years and years and years, uh, the airspace acquisition you know, years ago, right, was phenomenal because we had a channel, we had a product, we had internet, and we just you know, dropped it in and it grew and it was, it was fabulous. More recently, if you think about some of the acquisitions that we've done, in addition to being new innovative technologies, there's sometimes new business models too. And Meraki, I think, is a good example, right? Yeah. The way that Meraki sold is different uh, from the classic Cisco product. And because of that sales motion, the intimacy between engineering and product and sales was really important. And we said, let's keep that team separate so that they can keep working <coughs> together in that fast, iterative manner. And, and certainly, you mentioned AppDynamics, one of our more recent acquisitions. AppDynamics is similar because it's selling to the primarily the uh, person responsible for the performance of the application, yep. that sales motion to find that customer is very different mm -hmm. than the traditional Cisco sales motion. And, uh, and so you know, we want to keep that, uh, that velocity and that information flow very tight. Now the trade-off is you've got to still find an architectural story that makes sense to tie it together. And so integration team really thinks about that and we try to define those criteria for success before we do the deal, and then try to hold ourselves to that internally on the back end to try to stitch those pieces together. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, kudos to y'all for for those acquisitions, especially recently. I was a huge AppSpace fan, so when that happened, I was more than excited. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> and you know what? You mentioned, you mentioned, you know, they're not always a success, which is definitely true. I think we work hard on all of them, but uh, but I think we do believe our success rates probably a little higher than, 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 than other peers. Oh, absolutely. So, um, so we're always working to get better on that. Wait, how would you define something, a, a acquisition that wasn't a success? Because I feel like we tend to, they tend to be successful. Yeah. Or do I just need to go get my resume right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, you know, there, there's always, there's always, uh, there's always things, you know, whenever you do an acquisition, you're trying to make a prediction about the future. And no one, no one's crystal ball is perfect. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the easiest one that most people usually think of as coming to mind is the acquisition of Flip Video. Oh, oh my yeah. heart. Okay. Yeah. I love, but that honestly, was, but I still have. Talent, right? What's that? We got good talent out of that. We, oh yeah, we got great talent out of it. Yeah. And actually, I mean, that's one where you say, well, why was it not as successful as we hoped? It was really because, I mean, look around the table. They added a camera to the iPhone not long after we acquired Flip, and all of a sudden you didn't need a separate handheld video. Those hussies. Right? Exactly. There, um, were, there were other ones as well, but probably part of the uh, measurement of success also, if you do a full acquisition, yeah. is the merger onto GPL. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, well, Ironport wasn't really 
that successful, but if you then compare it to the acquisition of Sourcefire, I it was, was like, what, five, six years separate? That's all, right? Yes, but then Sourcefire was like within nine months I, on the yeah. JPL. That was yep. sarcasm there. Yeah, I know. That's why I respond. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I respond. Yes. But I, I do think that. that Dutch. I, I do think Dutch. that. That has actually been something that's been really good to see. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, um, I remember when Aspace got acquired, yeah. uh, there was the rollout of the initial um, smaller subset of uh, licensing that was put on the GPL. All the other things had to go through App, um, um, app Dynamics as normal, yeah. and it's great. Yeah. So uh, I, I love the way that y'all are going. I think one of the things that I took away earlier that you were talking about was kind of the almost consultative engagement y'all give right. around your investment. And that was really cool to hear because as Cisco partners we're always trying to sell Cisco's products and show people how they do stuff that they aren't normally intended for or someone yeah. wants to solve X problem and we're trying to say you can do Y and Z with it. Yep. So that found that interesting and could you elaborate any more on kind of your consultative process around when you were providing those investment conversations? Yeah, so and you kind of touched on something that I think I've been at Cisco for over 10 years and it's become more prevalent across the company which is great to see. Uh, which is this idea that, hey, look, we've got to have an ecosystem of companies around our architecture. So the, and, and that, that ecosystem has to be pretty broad, right? And so we're always looking for um, interesting startups, things that are complementary to what we're trying to offer to the customer. But, you know, we, we usually will start with what's the problem that we're trying to solve, right? What's the problem and how big is that market? And we're looking for people to, to tell us about that. I mean, customers sometimes are great because they'll actually tell you what they want. But we also look for partners, we look for uh, integrators, we look for people who can tell us what they're seeing in the field. And that's all data that we then collect and integrate and take back to our business leadership and, and, and take back to our execs internally to say, hey, this is the state of the business and maybe this means we should be doing something differently or putting more effort around certain partner programs and, and, and partner opportunities. Awesome. Well thinking out loud, is Cisco Investment also providing consultancy services? Are it some other consultancy services sometimes provided by Cisco to help, for example, design a smart building? Is from an entrepreneur perspective, yeah. could I say, hey, Cisco, help, I'm facing this kind of issue. Can you support me in one way or another? Not yeah, always so, financially. Yeah, so we do, I mean, we do, I think, I'll answer that with two pieces. One is, we, spend, we do spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs and we try to be the good Sherpa or guide into the rest of the company. Yeah, so, like coaching. I mean, yeah, coaching. Yeah. yeah. So connect you to people who we think could help. Uh, Cisco's a huge company. The second thing is, if you are a company that's in our portfolio where we've actually invested, uh, we do have a pretty well built out portfolio development team and they do all sorts of work to help our portfolio companies become successful with Cisco's help. And so that could be anything from, you know, finding the right kind of product opportunities to get integrated with, to introductions to customers, to introductions to partners and resellers. So Or validating your business plan or your marketing information, whether your mm -hmm. use case is really valuable or not. Yeah, huh? yeah, we would, we, would, we would think about trying to help with those kind of things too. We implant the Borg chip as well, right? Of course, the board chip is mandatory. Thank there you, you go. Yes. That. So everyone's properly identified. Okay. I'll just, just a small chip behind the ear, and you don't feel it at all. It's very gentle. Yes. Yep. Sorry. Go ahead. I got you off topic, guys. You cut me off guard now. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you caught me off guard. Oh my, sorry. <laughs> um, I'll ask this. With obviously something that you can talk about, 
what current investments are y'all eyeing that you're allowed to discuss that or that we have or that Cisco has recently invested in that may not be huge news that but you is think of it's most cool. interest that you can talk about? Obviously, you can disclose it. I know there's a lot of things you can't, but... Yeah. I mean, you know, one area that we are just, um, you know, so, so let me think of that kind of two ways. I mean, one area that we're spending a lot of time thinking about that we have not made any investments in is... Uh, is everything around um, sort of service mesh and the next generation of Kubernetes and microservices, right? So it's still early there, yeah. but there's a lot of interesting problems to solve that are kind of, they kind of look like networking problems actually, related to what it takes to bring up, bring down, operationalize microservices. And so, you know, there's some uh, open compute initiatives around uh, how to deploy a policy in a service mesh environment um, that we're kind of interested in tracking. There's a lot of open source activity around the microservices and service mesh that we're pretty interested in. So that's like a really early technology space, but one where I think you could see us maybe investing if we found the right management team and the right technology to get behind. Yeah, also like the zero trust framework and the workloads. Mm -hmm. That's really something in Kubernetes which is going to be very difficult. Yes. And that's really a challenging issue, I think. It is, it's super hard. Now, one thing I would say is, sometimes you could have like a hard problem that doesn't have a great business model around it. So when you're investing, you know, you're making a bet that the problem is a big one to solve and there's a business model you can put around it. So. Yeah. You know, we've, we've invested in companies that are building businesses on and around open source technologies before. Um, you know, one of the companies we invested in is uh, Puppet, which does, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. DevOps tools. And we were investors in them seven, eight years ago. That company has always had an open source piece of what they do and then a commercial version. And, you know, striking that balance is, I think, always a challenge for any company in that space, how do you strike that balance of open source versus commercial? They've, they've done a good job at it, but you know, we always kind of ask ourselves for any company in the open source space, how are you going to monetize this? What's the business model going to be? Yeah. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Tell me if I, apologies if you heard this, but so, okay. Uh, you were talking about your, one of your focuses, IT operations. Yes. Do you work with the Cisco and Cisco people much just to kind of like map out what they need or how does that, you guys integrate or work together much? Yeah, uh, we do. We spend time with Cisco and Cisco. We spend time, we spend time also with anybody who's going through this whole digitization process, right, of your business. And one of the things that, as investors, we try to do is sort of tap into all the different uh, points of information that we have unique access to. So certainly, all of our engineering organization, you know, the different BUs and the product org is is hugely helpful for us, but. Definitely everybody in the Cisco and Cisco effort is really important too because that's kind of like the voice of the customer in a way internally that we can learn from. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's definitely a huge piece of where we try to give ourselves some proprietary insight. Cool. Do you have questions for these guys, by the way? Just turning the tables here a little bit. Oh, yeah. So was not prepared for this. What are you oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I am since previous recording. In, ten, in, in 50 words or less. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How do you guys think Cisco is perceived in the in the eyes of entrepreneurs and and people on the startup side? I mean, we're a big company, got a big logo, got a global reach, but how do you think entrepreneurs think about Cisco? 
Oh, I uh, immediately comes to mind. Um, I've known a few people who have started other companies and or went to work at them. And there's quite a few entrepreneurs out there that they look to solve a problem with the advent that they are going to catch Cisco's eye. You know, they want Cisco yeah. to take them to the prom and they want to go dance and they want to have a payday, right? So yeah. they want to show off that hot cerebellum. They, <laughs> yes. But, okay, go on. But ultimately, it is a matter of they know in some cases that they have a great idea, but they may not want to capture it at scale like Cisco can do. Yep. And they want to say, I'm really good at solving this problem, and mm -hmm. we know we could use it in other areas, but they can't really do that hyper growth without it. Yep. So that, that's my perspective. I think a lot of people think uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective that Cisco is a golden ticket in some, in some respects, um, especially as you know a partner and a reseller and trying to do additional things on top. But yeah. just for someone who's trying to be invested in and do that, that that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can acknowledge to that because um, Cisco is really a thought leader. I've been to Cisco live sessions like many years. I lost count. And always, if you look at the red thread, you know, like a year or two years later, my customers are going to ask the things that were actually last year Cisco Live. Yeah. So Cisco is really truly on the the early adopter on the technology technology adoption curve. So from an entrepreneur perspective, it's really like, hey, I've got this brilliant idea. It's going to might be the next big thing. Then really, some people think it's the golden ticket. Some other think like, hey, it's my idea. It should be better. Mm -hmm. Let's work together and see how I can do that. What would you like to see from Cisco Investments as an investor to help you tell a better Cisco story? Ooh, that's a difficult question, um, but a good one. <laughs> I would say a combination. I know quite a lot of entrepreneurs that are struggling with the initial growth steps. And, yep. and that's partially also the liquidity question. It's not only the money out of the question, but also growing from a concept or a proof of concept, bring it to a real product that you can really bring to the market. Yeah. Because that's a whole different ball game. So you can mm -hmm. have this brilliant idea, but if you don't have the time or the resources to manage that, then I think that Cisco Investments could help in that, whether it's it's a Gersha coaching perspective yep. or uh, whatever construct could be thought of, could be helping as well. And I, hear, I like what you're saying, because a piece of what you're saying is, it's not just money. No, it's, 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 it's more. It's more. more that, yeah, yeah. And, and I would I would piggyback on that and say, you know, uh, somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk, right? He has his he does his 40x with small businesses up in New York, right? Yeah. And I think something like that geared towards pure technology oh, around yeah. Cisco would be great yeah. because um, I I agree with uh, Peter Jan over there or Peter Jan. And uh, <laughs> the thing is, um, it really becomes a matter of it's not just hey, I'm great at what I do. It is commoditizing, productizing, and really crafting a good story around it. That there are times where, obviously people's time is money, yep. but there's times where, it, uh, in my own uh, business, I haven't needed money. I've mm -hmm. needed ideas. Yep. I've needed someone who could be a sounding board that is not my buddy. Yep. Yep. Because I need someone to right. tell me your baby's ugly or exactly. I'll tell you that. these things. I, I'm happy. Oh, I, I have no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's on speed dial. I don't mean time. your children, actually. I <laughs> just mean, you know, your baby idea. What's your okay. idea? That's a bad idea. I don't yeah. care what it is. No, but, but, but I, yeah. I, I like that boarding yeah. idea. And, and one of the things that you also have is, okay, I've got this idea. I've got this product. Now, how can I market it? How can I set up my support line? Mm -hmm. How do I grow that? Mm -hmm. Probably yeah. investments have quite a lot of experience on that. And I would, at I least would, Cisco has. 
Yeah, and I'd even uh, tag onto that too about um, you know even within the Cisco ecosystem. Yep. Uh, I think you know the DSI program and the SSI program is starting to do a very good job with that. But I would love to see even more being done about people who are willing to play with other partners yeah. and bring their skill sets to augment and expand, not necessarily compete. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think we do. Uh, we do see a huge opportunity to try to grow the pie, right? Which is, which is kind of a way to say. How do we try to give partners and customers more solutions, more ways to help them do their job better, do their business better, um, and do that in a way that benefits them through Cisco technologies, but other companies in our ecosystem, right, as well. Yep. And that's something that, uh, you know, the, the, the real magic, which I think we're trying to get better at, we've got some initiatives around it, is doing that at scale, right? Doing that in a way that uh, is efficient for everyone. Awesome, well thank you guys. I've enjoyed learning. Oh wait, yeah. is there anything else you wanted to add? Puppies or kittens? Go. Puppies. Puppies. Puppies, of course. All right, we're all in wow. agreement. A round of puppies, please. <laughs> that we're investing in or yeah, exactly. that we're telling their ugly. Just in general. Just okay. Puppies general. as a service. Mm. Puppies as a service. That's yeah. called puppets. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to cut the strings on you there, buddy. All right. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Peter. Jan. Um, and then I'll just put in a little plug for for people listening from home. Uh, please yes. subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, other places that I'm forgetting off the top of my Spotify. head. Yes. SoundCloud. Yes. And you got the last one. No. Stitcher. All right. For Cisco Champions Radio. Hope you all enjoyed. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.